Welcome to Hostel Homies, a podcast focused on the best parts of backpacker culture. I'm your host, Joe Glasgow. Each week I sit down with a new guest, ranging from the people I meet while I'm abroad to professionals who work in the travel industry. Listen along as they share hilarious and inspiring travel stories, unparalleled recommendations on where to go, and tips for seeing the world on a budget. For Hostel Homies, it's all about the journey, the destination, and the people you meet along the way. Hello, Hostel Homies. This episode is brought to you by The Hostel Group. Visit thehostelgroup.com and support hostels by booking direct. Welcome to The Hostel Homies Podcast. Today we have an awesome guest who spent two years in the Peace Corps back in the 90s. Uh, This is some guy that Cheech actually met while he was driving Uber. And I've got Cheech as a co-host today. Yeah, so I've been uh, driving Uber for about six months now and, uh, you know, just making a little beer money, a little travel money uh, after I found the the passion for travel. And you meet so many cool people. And uh, I picked uh, our buddy up here from the airport and dropped him off at his hotel. It was like a 25-minute ride and we started talking about travel. And uh, somehow, you know, Africa came up and I had just gotten back. I was there for, you know, about five weeks. I had just gotten back and he's, he proceeds to tell me that, he, you know, he was in the Peace Corps and, you know, just the, the conversation we had about culture, the food and customs and it was just, I, I, everything, it seemed to line up. So I was like, man, we have to get him on and I'm happy to uh, have him with us. Please enjoy our conversation with John Wells. So I'm John Wells. Uh, I was in the Peace Corps from 1992 to 1994 uh, and have traveled throughout my life, you know, up to that point and after that. Now I'm in my late 40s and have two kids and also do a lot of traveling with them. Enjoy uh, seeing different cultures and really trying to integrate a little bit into the culture. It's difficult when you travel sometimes, but uh, I, I had that Peace Corps experience, which really helped me kind of figure out you know, the best way to do that. So it was, it was a good experience. What did the decision process look like? So it was interesting. When I was a junior, uh, I went to Union College in uh, Schenectady, New York. And some of my buddies said, hey, there's this trip to Jamaica. Um, we should all go. It's, it was like five or 600 bucks, you know, everything all included. And it was a spring break type trip. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but I had never... It's a developing country, and I'd never been to a developing country, so mm-hmm. I actually sold my 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 bike to be able to go no on kidding. the trip. And I'm an and I'm an avid uh, cyclist. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that so we went there, and of course did all the partying kind of stuff that you mm-hmm. do in the grill and all those areas. Um, but one day we took um, mopeds and just toured the you know toured the island. We were mm-hmm. kind of cruising around and. I remember going to this other town that was where, you know, we were the only white people there, like sure. a bunch of white kids from, you know, private college in New York, walking around this, this town. And people were so welcoming and they were so inquisitive and they wanted to know. And I was just in awe of this, this machine that was going on around me because mm-hmm. it was this very active town where, you know, there was, there was commerce and things happening and people were also stopping to talk to us. And for me, that set things in motion because I really had never been exposed to a developing country and I was just very intrigued by it all and wanted to kind of be a part of that culture or something like that. So the following year, 
there was the Peace Corps had come to my school. Mm-hmm. They gave us a, a, a presentation on how to get in and all the things you can expect. And I signed up thinking, you know, this would be great if I could do this. Um, we were a middle class family, but my parents hadn't really given me a lot of the funds necessary to go on term abroad and things. So sure. this was a great opportunity, I felt, for me to go live somewhere, integrate myself into, you know, into a, a, a culture that wasn't my own. Mm-hmm see a part of the world that I had never seen and, and be exposed to stuff I would never could never imagine being exposed to then I went through the process and it, it's like having a baby it takes about nine months sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know they really dig deep into your past because you know they're, they're worried about CIA you, you always get the term CIA man when you're in a Peace Corps volunteer so why, why is that they think because you're they undercover. think you're in the CIA they think you're <laughs> undercover yeah so so they do background checks on you in the US they, you have to go through a full, full health screening. Mm-hmm. And then it's timing of what programs are open after mm-hmm. you've gone through all that. And for me, it was the choice of Southeast Asia or Africa. And even Southeast Asia, there was a chance I wouldn't get in because gotcha. they had people with greater expertise than me. Um, so I said, just, just slot me where I'm, gonna, where I'm a sure thing. You know? <laughs> I just wanted to go. I was eager yeah. to go. And then I was off. I was on my way. So you get to select preferences, but you don't get to select an exact place. So you you can select regions of Mm -hmm. the world, uh, but the more you limit yourself, the harder it's going to be for you to get placed. Got you. So I I recognize that up front and, and really stuck with the listen i'll go anywhere mm-hmm. you know that was my that was my i don't care where you send me just send me somewhere <laughs> and you know it it turned into something uh so i was glad that i i was flexible sure before doing this you talked about your trip in jamaica which kind of inspired it did you do a lot of traveling before that where you felt like you got to do the the traditional being young partying meeting people while while you travel not as much as I had hoped. Uh-huh. I mean, I did the traditional things, you know, going down to Florida, spring break. Um, I spent a lot of time in the Adirondacks, doing a lot of hiking and stuff like that. But it was all very local, localized stuff. I, th- I don't even think I had left the country aside from going to, like, Canada. Yeah, sure. Um, that was the first time out of the country. So I always had that. Um, that desire to kind of go see other places and see other cultures. And even if it was just in the United States, I would try to take every opportunity I had. But money was a limiting limiting factor at the time. So that's why the Peace Corps presented such a great opportunity. Financially speaking, for the Peace Corps, is this something where they cover everything and then they actually, do they give you money afterwards as well? Is that part of the the promise? Yeah, so it's basically a a stipend. Mm -hmm. Uh, It it covers your food and and rent and those things. Gotcha. And then at the end of your two-year service, at the time, I think we got like $5,000, which was enough to kind of get you reestablished in the U.S. Maybe maybe it's more now. Imagine it's gone up. Uh, This is like (laughs) 20 years ago. But that was enough to kind of get you by. Mm-hmm. I was definitely being paid less than the teachers that I was a teacher, less than the teachers that I taught with there. Gotcha. Um, and one of the things the Peace Corps does, it tries to humble you because the whole objective of the Peace Corps when it was started way back in 1961 mm-hmm. was to abolish the the notion of a like the the, the ugly American yeah and so that that's why this um, stipe it, it stayed always at a stipend I was fortunate enough to be in a country where the dollar the pula 
in Botswana was very strong. Mm -hmm. So when we went to other countries, we we were actually living like kings a little bit, <laughs> yes. you know, a little bit, relatively speaking. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What was your initial reaction when you found out you were going to Botswana? Had you heard of the country before? Did you know much about it? I knew nothing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I knew nothing. Uh, initial reaction was, yeah, that's awesome. Cool. You know, uh, but again, I knew in reading about it a little bit, just that it was a lot of wildlife tourism, <laughs> arid country, and not densely populated. Um, but didn't have any preconceived ideas of what it would be like at all. Absolutely. And sometimes that's better. Right. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. 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 You go yeah. with a blank slate, kind of an open mind. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think that's sometimes better. Botswana um, got their independence in like the, I think, mid to late 60s. Mm -hmm. And then shortly after that, they discovered diamonds. So De Beers came in. And they gave them the government, you know, money to be able to mine there. So on a relative basis, Botswana was a wealthy country. Okay. And it had development money, like it, the roads were being developed. But there was still that element of Africa where, you know, there's there's a fair amount of poverty. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people didn't have electricity, running water, those things. So that all that stuff was a bit of a shock <laughs> initially. Um but once I got myself established and started uh, just, you know, assimilating myself into the culture, into the living situation, I never felt, um, I guess, like I was without anything I needed. You know, mm -hmm. I always felt like I had, you, you just kind of adapt to the situation that sure. you're in almost, you know. How quickly do you think it takes when you come back from a country like that? That's the harder part, sure. to be honest. It's... It's coming back to right all the all the amenities that you have, um, you know, just simple things like electricity, running mm -hmm. water, uh, that you can rely on twenty four seven. You know, um, that's really hard, and it's hard to come back to, you know, assimilate, move yourself back into your life in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Where at the time of my life, um, I was, my friends had had two years where they were starting to grow in their careers. I hadn't done any of that, sure. and I was yeah. just kind of like, "Whoa, what do I do now?" Yeah. Fortunately, I just went to graduate school, and you know, from there I started my career. Well, speaking of the people back home, we were talking about this. Like these days, we would be, you know, probably texting the people back home or emailing or anything yeah, like WhatsApp. that. This is 1992 to 1994. How yeah. are you keeping in contact, or were you keeping in contact at all with people back home? So, uh, always through letters. Mm -hmm. People had to write me back, if, mm -hmm. and I would write a letter or two letters or three letters every day. Wow! You know, to my my mother and father, to my brother and sister, and people were quite good at writing back. But you yeah. had to write letters, and that was the only way to communicate. We had no phones. We had no phones at the school. We had a CB radio at the school. So if I wanted to contact, like the school that was forty miles, twenty miles north of me. That's how I reached them. That the next closest Jeez. Peace Corps volunteer. But there were there was no way to reach anybody. Mm -hmm. um, and once in a while, when we went on vac, you know, when I would go with other Peace Corps volunteers to take a break to go on vacation to another country, we'd find ourselves in a situation where there's a phone, mm -hmm. and when and we would beg the people to use it. But my parents had no idea when I was when I was going to call. It the was, time zones it, obviously are going to be a little right. off too. And, yeah, and you couldn't prepare them, so they'd get a collect call, you know, in the middle of the night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and so they'd have to take it. 
we also did have uh, in the capital city, Habarone, uh, there was a, a hostel just for uh, Peace Corps volunteers. Mm -hmm. So all the Peace Corps volunteers in country could come there. And you had access to a phone there oh, as great. well. That's nice. awesome. I yeah. love that concept. Yeah. yeah. No and they, other Peace Corps volunteers, if you were coming into another country uh, or coming in from another country, you could use that hostel as well. So you got to see and meet other Peace Corps volunteers, not only from your country, but mm -hmm. from other places as I'm well. I'm sure that was a, a good time. Yeah. Yeah. It always was. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. What's the, what's the culture like between you and the other, the other Peace Corps workers? So you spend two months, two or three months in the beginning of your service with however many people you come into country with. In my case, it was about 25 people. Mm -hmm. The volunteers range from, I'd say about 80% of them were college graduates like yeah. myself. The rest were, some were in their middle ages, some were retirees. So it, it does run you know, the gamut in terms of um, people from all walks of life. And then you develop friendships from there. And then while you're yeah, at your post, you, know, you send letters and say, hey, we're going to meet up you know, at, this, at this time and go on oh, vacation. Cool. So, <laughs> so you, get, you get the chance to travel with these folks and yeah. you know, take time off and, and go see other parts of the, of the world there. I want to get back to that about the, you know, the friends that you made while you were over there. Did you feel like when you saw those people middle-aged, older in their life who were doing it, did that feel like it verified or confirmed your decision that it was the right place to be for you? Definitely, yeah. Yep. yeah. And, and I think, you know, those, those people obviously were at a different place in their lives. They mm -hmm. might have been more mature. I was a bit of an immature kid, so <laughs> I, I felt like they grounded us in a way, you know. Um, but it's hard for older people who may have, have some wealth, they may mm -hmm. have um, you know, the means to do other things because there were rules that were set down. We couldn't own a car, um, and they may have the ability to just go out and buy a car. They, yep. You know, the Peace Corps, as I said, tries to kind of keep everybody humble and, you know, um, not, not living an ostentatious lifestyle. Yeah, so, absolutely. So it, it was from that perspective, um, it was interesting. I think it was hard in some respects for older folks to adjust to it. Gotcha. Well, the... Podcast title is Hostel Homies. Uh, Cheech and I, we, we met abroad in Prague, and you know I felt like the people I've met while I've been traveling have had you know a big impact on my life. Is there anyone in particular, and this can be more than one person, who you met, whether it was you know someone else who was working in the Peace Corps or one of the locals that you worked with that has had a, a large impact on your life? Yeah, I, I guess I'm, I'm the type of person who I want to befriend people you know no matter what their socioeconomic status no matter you know what culture they're from um if they're interesting to me i, I want to get to know them and mm -hmm. i i developed a relationship with um a guy who is by the name of hockey bine which literally means i don't dance and he and i were very very close he worked at the school that I taught at, but he mm -hmm. was, he was more like, a he, he helped maintain the, the generator at our school. He did some other odd jobs. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, he was somebody who really helped me, um, understand the culture mm -hmm. better be, just by spending time with him. He and I would play cards, you know, we'd, we'd hang out. Um, we both had horses I bought a horse while I was there. <laughs> That's cool. The Peace, wow. the, the Peace Corps gives you money for, uh, 
a bicycle mm-hmm. or, or a refrigerator and I wrote them and I said, listen, I, I have no need for a bicycle because the sand is really deep in my village. I can't sure. get around. And I didn't have electricity. So I said, can I get a horse? And they're like, okay. <laughs> they said, sure. That's awesome. So I, I got this horse and it turns out my horse was like lightning fast. You yeah, know? Yeah. And, and my buddy had, this guy, Hockey Beanie, had a horse. So we used to ride the horses all over. There was a huge dried up lake, like massive lake, uh, like 10 miles from where we live. We'd mm-hmm. take the horses out there and just run and chase like you know wildlife which isn't responsible but (laughs) uh but it was it was just this amazing thing that have these horses out there and and there was one so there was one day where uh, this is one of my favorite stories you know remembering this is um they used to have these horse races in our village uh on independence day the first year i got there they didn't have the race for some reason it just didn't get organized Mm -hmm. And everyone was talking about my horse. They were like, oh, you got to enter your horse in the race if they have it and this and that. And so they didn't have it. And my, I was disappointed. And my buddy, Hockey Bean, I said, you know, we should just go out and take the horses. And we'll, we'll, you and I will race around the track. <laughs> and, it was, and it was on Independence Day. They always did it on this, the day where the kids were off from school. And, mm-hmm. you know, people were kind of having parties in their homes and stuff. And so we get out there and we're, you know, we're... 200 yards off the village, right? But people can kind of see us. And mm-hmm. Take this, just a Coke can and throw it in the air. And when it hits the ground, that's when we start. Take off. Yeah. So we take off. And I'm just, I'm just crushing him. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm like five lengths ahead of him. And I, and we come around and I look up and there's about, about 25 little kids like screaming, running towards us, <laughs> yelling. <laughs> And I remember uh, just taking the horses and going into the into the village, right straight to the bar, mm-hmm. and all these kids following us, like, like all these oh little kids, God. like screaming and Screaming shouting. <laughs> it was the greatest thing. That's awesome. <laughs> but you know, Hockey Beanie was just a a good soul. He mm-hmm. was, you know, he wanted to know, learn about me as much as I wanted to to learn about him. Yeah, sure. Uh, we just developed a very close friendship. I, you know, I. I don't know what happened to him. I kind of mm-hmm. lost touch with him, and I, I, that bums me out a little bit. Uh, I would I would like to know where he is today. And, sure, yeah. Um, when I left him, I gave him my uh, my saddle. Uh, oh, my that's sweet. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He was a good he was a good friend though. Just to go back to his name, did he ever explain how he how he got that name? I think he said that you know when he was in the womb, his mother said he didn't move a lot. Um, so that's why she called him Hakimine. <laughs> and then the, the funny thing is, he he named his horse um, Fan. And I asked him, well, why why'd you name your horse Fan? He said, well, you know, when I'm riding it, it's like a fan. It's like. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was good. <laughs> that's well, you wrote a lot of letters, and it seems like you took a lot of pictures back then. And these these it seems like help you remember a lot of these times, a lot of these experiences and stories. When you were writing letters back home, did, uh, did the people you sent them to save them or are there things that you can look back on now? So, you know, that's a good question. I, I don't think my friends would have saved them. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother was is pretty good at saving things, so I sure. should ask her. But I do go back from time to time. I kept a, a little diary. One thing I remember, and going back to my diary, and it kind of jogged my memory of this, is there was a, 
I lived in the village my first year, and I chose to live in the village because I wanted to live with the family and just get in, as integrated as possible as mm -hmm. I could into the culture. And I would read every night, uh, and you know there was nothing nothing else to do. I couldn't watch TV, so yeah. I did a lot of reading. Um, and I remember taking a break and walking just to the doorway of my hut. I lived in a, a hut, a round hut with a grass roof. I just kind of took a break to stretch. And when I walked to the door, the whole sky lit up as if it was daytime for about two or three seconds. Mm -hmm. and, and I was like, what was that? And the, the sky was clear. There was no clouds, mm -hmm. no lightning, no you know thunder or anything. And it, it scared me and I didn't know what was going on. And then about a few seconds later, I heard these just, you know, crashes like boom, 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 and still no idea. So I ran over to, um, and I could hear people kind of who had also seen it and heard mm -hmm. it, slightly panicking a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, sure. So I ran over to um, the the hut where my family was staying, and I said, "Did you guys see that?" And they said, "Yeah, we saw it, but we don't know." And the next day, you know, things just carry on there, and. The next day, you know, it's not like you can go on the radio and hear like, oh, this is what just happened. Sure. And people should be aware. There's no social media where people are no, posting about nothing. this, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, to this day, I still really have no idea what caused it. It could have been a meteor. It mm -hmm. could have been, you know, South Africa doing testing bombs in the desert. And right. I, I, I had no idea. And other Peace Corps volunteers had seen it. I talked to them like months later, but oh my to this day, I don't know what, <laughs> what happened. So, you know, I, that keeping that journal was really helpful to to recall that event. And and but the letters would be good to get. I should I really should speak to my mom and see sure. what she can. Yeah, because that's kind of a diary in itself, right? Yeah, absolutely. Are there any of these pictures you brought a photo album? Are there any of them that bring back specific memories for you or stand out to you as a, as important? Yeah, I mean the the pictures with my with my horse um, mm -hmm. certainly uh, bring back a lot of memories. The pictures with my my kids, um, the kids that I taught, uh, because they, they were just such amazing people. Mm -hmm. Like they, they all had uh, just so much to, to to give to me. You know, um, the, those pictures are the ones I cherish. But yeah. the kids were just so amazing. How old would they be now if these kids were about 10 or 11 when you were teaching them? So they were um, 7th and 8th grade, mm -hmm. yeah. So they would be in their um, like mid to late 30s. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so I know you have the, the wife and kids now. Have you planned on making any trips back there, seeing, seeing them at all? You know, I've talked to my wife about that. I, I really would like mm -hmm. to go back there and bring my, my kids, my yeah. family. Um, been such a long time i i don't know i don't know what to expect in terms of like who's still there would anybody recognize me or you know would i recognize anybody mm -hmm. but i would still like to go back yeah definitely i think if you it. show up with your with a horse and just <laughs> yeah. walk through the village yeah. everyone will come out cheering yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's that same group of kids <laughs> yeah. but like what like 30 years old exactly yeah. oh I, I i let my kids name the horse that was the other thing oh um, yeah, the students yeah. And she was, uh, you know, I'll, I'll show you guys a picture later, but she was, or he was uh, white with kind of like brownish spots. And there was a, a delicacy there that was um, basically curdled milk. Mm -hmm. They would leave milk out to spoil. 
and it was that's what people drank then no, that was there okay. they loved it and it was called madila so they called my horse madila because it looked like <laughs> it looked like sour milk nice. oh, that's, <laughs> so there was fan and madila yeah fan and madila were running races yeah <laughs> <laughs> the second year they did run the race by the way mm -hmm. uh and they had the full race and my horse came in like third not didn't come in first really and i let my friend hockey Bine be the jockey because he was about 20 pounds lighter than me mm -hmm. and a, probably a better rider than me yeah, too yeah, sure. yeah. <laughs> oh that's incredible so when you when you left did you sell the sell the horse or leave it for the town i sold the horse actually um to to another uh another friend of mine mm -hmm. yeah yeah that horse gave me so much trouble though because <laughs> i don't know if you know about horses but they basically go back to wherever they come from if they get loose. Mm -hmm. So the guy that I bought the horse from was about 15, 20 miles away in the bush on like dirt roads, you know, and he would come to town like every month just to go to the bar and drink, yeah. you know. So I, he, my horse would get loose, take off, go back to the farm where he came from and I'd have to wait for this guy to come to the bar, and then I'd say, "Is my horse there?" Yeah, yeah, we got him. I'm like, here, there's twenty bucks, and you bring him back. <laughs> That's <is> awesome. <laughs> it's not as easy as keeping track of a bike. No, exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh! After the Peace Corps, you go, you do grad school. Did this travel bug stick with you? Did you continuously travel throughout then uh, after after graduating? Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, my I met my wife in graduate school. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Before we got married, we, we got um, certified uh, in diving. And we used that uh, as an excuse to go <laughs> to the various places. And yeah, sure. We went, uh, we went, obviously, to the Caribbean. We did a lot of diving there, mm -hmm. um, down to Cozumel. Uh, we went on our honeymoon to um, the French Polynesia and did a ton of diving there, really yeah. amazing diving. And we went to Australia and New Zealand. Uh, we dove on, the, dove on the Great Barrier Reef. Um, <laughs> That's incredible. There. So, so yes, that, that, you know, that and, and also being a certified diver. Mm -hmm. But then we had kids and sure. the diving kind of stopped. Okay. And the traveling kind of stopped. Mm -hmm. um, until they were old enough to really be transportable, <laughs> yeah, if absolutely. you will. And now that they're, my kids are 13 and 11, mm -hmm. now that they're kind of mini adults, uh, we take them everywhere. And they, they've started to appreciate um, travel and other cultures. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things we do with them at the end of each trip, we ask them to uh, list their top three favorite things nice. and uh, you know they they're still very um, they like the comforts of life mm -hmm. so we got through with a trip to Hawaii and they went through their top three things and then <clears throat> the next day uh, we went and got on the flight and we had paid to be upgraded to, to business class mm -hmm. and there was you know those live flat seats with the with your own video and then immediately when they got on the plane, they said, Dad, I want to change my top three. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, I did this all wrong. <laughs> oh, that's funny. It's funny when you're a kid, like what you remember about trips, yeah, right? Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Are there any uh, questions that you have specifically from Africa as you, as you have been out there before? Okay, so yeah, one question I had was, so when I was there, I, obviously the culture is so different. Is there any things that you brought back 
that you, from that culture that you brought back, you know, when, when you came back to the U.S.? Uh, one of the things that was interesting to me is that men were very, um, much more physical with one another. Like, mm -hmm. you know, men would come and, and grab your hand and hold your hand as yeah, you're walking down the street. Yeah, that sure. right. Yeah, and, and, and so I think, you know, just not being afraid to, you know, not, not necessarily just, you know, um, touch somebody, but just mm -hmm. be more emotional. And, Show a little bit more affection. More, yeah, yeah. Because it's not, it's not, uh, it's a little taboo. Yeah, out America. here, but yeah. Yeah, sure. I noticed it, that in Africa as well. Yeah. One thing that I kind of brought back was, I, I think, uh, I wonder, curious if you uh, ran into this as well, but like, when you run into someone or you, you're at the store uh, and you're, you're asking for something, you always yeah. ask, Hey, hi, how are you? And they say, oh, I'm, I'm fine, and how are you? You go through these pleasantries, and it, it, I, I noticed that like the minute I got there. Yeah. You don't just go, I mean, it's really impolite to go and yeah. just ask someone for something mm -hmm. without asking. And, and you know, the more you know them, it goes from how are you, now, okay, how's your mother, how is your family, how are your children? It's, I mean, it could be a really long yeah. introduction before you get one. And I feel like I, I uh, so is that something you noticed absolutely, you Absolutely, 100%, yes, and you're right. And I do that today when I go to a store right. or whatever. Even in New I'd York say, City. Hi, too, how are you that? doing? Yeah, yeah. I was, yeah. And I have a funny story about that from the Peace Corps mm -hmm. because I remember uh, the, 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 the hut that I lived in was about, I think it was about two miles from school. So it was always like, oh, you know, I, some days I would run, jog mm -hmm. to school, which was totally unusual in Africa. People were like, yeah. why is that guy running? <laughs> yeah. I but anyway, I, was anyway I got halfway to school and I was just having uh, an emergency situation with my balls. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was trying to figure out in my head, okay, do I run to school? Do mm -hmm. I run back? What's going to be the easiest thing? And I started to run back home and... I didn't quite make it, <laughs> and there was these two older women that I was about to pass, and you know they knew me, and if I didn't stop and say hello, it would have been considered rude. Mm -hmm. Right. Sure. So I'm standing there with you know stuff running down my legs, trying to <laughs> so I, you know, say hi, ma'am. How are you? How's everybody doing? You know, not wanting to give away the fact that I was really in trouble. Uh, yeah, it's been so long that I, I, I do think there were things that I brought back and I was, I mentioned to you before Christian that the impact that the whole experience had on me was, I, I always feel like was greater than what I gave back, you know, mm. uh, I think a lot of Peace Corps volunteers have that, sure. uh, that, that experience. Um, which is amazing because you guys are there doing incredible work, yeah. but you come back feeling like you were the one that got worked up. Yeah, yeah. It's really, uh, that's yeah. really impressive. And it's two years straight, correct? It's two years with, with the initial training, you know, um, uh, cultural and language training in the beginning, it, it ended up being 27 months. And I had, um, my brother came over twice while I was there. Mm -hmm. um, and that was the only time I saw anybody in my family or friends and yeah, it's a it's a long time. Yeah, and what happens ends up happening is you start having dreams about home mm -hmm. and friends and family, and and you wake up. I'm still here, <laughs> and not in a bad way. You just mm -hmm. you're 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 you are craving your own kind of 
culture and people, you know, because mm -hmm. you are, you know, you're you're a minority when you go to these places. Of course, and, um, yeah, absolutely. As much as you try to fit into the culture, it, it can be hard, and mm -hmm. you still crave your own, um, you know, those comforts and, and things. Was there a time where you thought you were gonna you were gonna break, or you gonna have to go home? Uh, no. My father, who was uh, he, he wasn't a strict person, but he he was in the, the navy, and you know was a um, conscientious person, and just said to me before I left, you know, if you're gonna do this, don't quit. You know, mm -hmm. so I, that always stuck with me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there was. One issue that I had uh, when I went, I went to Malawi on a vacation, mm -hmm. and my friend and I were at the end of the vacation, and we had run out of money, basically, mm -hmm. had nickels to rub together, and <laughs> we stayed in this very dodgy um, uh, place, this dodgy hotel, if you will, yeah. uh, and there were no, we had no mosquito nets, and there, this room had was just swarming with mosquitoes, and we went to sleep, and woke up, and it was like the worst night's sleep I've ever had. And then came home to our the country where we, you know, were staying, Botswana, and um, about two weeks later, started to get fevers, oh, no. <laughs> started to get headaches, and uh, realized that we we both had gotten malaria. And that that lasted about three or four days, mm -hmm. um, and I went to the clinic in my town and got treatment. The first treatment didn't work. Mm -hmm. Went back for the second treatment, and that night my friend Hakebine came over. Mm -hmm. Thought it would be a good idea to give me a hot bath, and I was a bit delirious, so mm -hmm. I took. I said, "Okay, I'll get in a hot bath." <laughs> he drew a bath for me, <laughs> piping hot. I get mm -hmm. in it, and of course I had a fever. And my fever just kept going up, it just spiked, and, up uh, and up. Oh, no. And then I, I thought, I went to my bed because I was feeling horrible. Mm -hmm. I thought that, that it was over at that point. Like I thought, wow. I thought it was the end of my life. Wow. And I was living with the woman from Detroit, mm -hmm. uh, Kathleen, and she, I had to yell to her to bring in a bucket, and I got sick. And from then on, I felt fine. I went from feeling like I was going to die to feeling like it, it was just gone from my body. It was the weirdest thing. Did your friend know what he was doing by like? I by felt like him? he did. I like, <laughs> you know, it's it, when thinking back on like, why would you give anybody with a fever a, a hot a bath? Hot bath yeah. But then he must have known something. Yeah. yeah. You know. Oh, He's like, this is gonna be a bad twenty-four hours. <laughs> yeah. For you, but once yeah. it's over, it's yeah. good. You're gonna get through this. What an incredible experience. Yeah. Gosh. It was great. I am. Um, Probably the best thing I've ever done in my life uh -huh. for me, you know, and, and, and for my my own uh, development and as a human being. Yeah, really glad that I had that experience. Well, we've been glad to have you on. Uh, the question I ask everyone, and uh, as a well-traveled person yourself, uh, I, I like to ask people where they think everyone should visit. And this can be a city, a town, or it can be something as specific as a restaurant you once ate at or a park bench you once sat on somewhere. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I heard that question come up on your other, mm -hmm. your other discussions, and I, I, God, I was like, what am I going to say? I've been to so many great places. Yeah, sure, sure. I really, uh, really uh, vexed over this. But I have to say, maybe not so much culturally, but... Um, this, the South Island of New Zealand is just so absolutely stunning. My mm -hmm. wife and I went there 
that I just have, I just remember it being such, just an incredibly beautiful place, like unbelievable that I think everyone should go there. Very humbling. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Just, I mean, I remember driving with my wife and every 10 minutes we have to pull over to take a picture. It's just, it's just, you just can't believe the yeah. beauty, the beauty is just so stunning there. Um, and the people are wonderful, you mm -hmm. know, and there's, there's so much to do there and just, uh, it's just a great, great place. Excellent. Well, John, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. Appreciate having you. Thanks for listening to Hostel Homies.